Hello, welcome to Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizlet on Twitter. And I'm Ben Travers at Ben T. Travers on Twitter. And we're here again from the IndieWire offices in Los Angeles. Uh, it's a lovely, sunny, good Friday afternoon. And we are just going to dive in because this you're listening to this now on the Monday. That is after the, after the men that are mad have been on the television. It's happening right now. We are in the middle of the season. Well, not the middle of the season. We're... Well, yeah, wait. We are in the middle of the season, but it's the start of the second season. Is seven? Be- We're in Mad Men season. We're watching Mad it's Men. It's Mad Men time, guys. Yeah. Yeah, so and this is, of course, going to be a show that dominates the conversation for the next seven weeks. And We will literally be talking about this every week for seven weeks is what that means. I mean, we've already, we've already managed to maintain a pretty high standard of daily requisite Mad Men posts for the last two weeks. Any devoted or any devout devoted devote devote devout 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 any, any devout listener would know pretty quickly what our favorite shows are just from listening to this podcast as well as I mean if you read any of our articles more than six you'd yes. be able to pinpoint Friday Night Lights Friends X Files Mad Men yes at least and it's you know these are the kinds of shows that are iconic that make us want to sit up and take notice and. I don't know why Friends is on that list, but Whoa, sure. <laughs> Liz, come on, get it together. All right. Last so, great sitcom. The last great sitcom? The last great sitcom. Wow. Yes. What about what about Parks and Recreation? Those are in a different breed. They're single camera. Oh, I see. So the, great, the last great multi-camera sitcom. Sure, traditional sitcom. Okay, this is a topic for another podcast, because I think I have some counterexamples. God, we could go on for hours. We really could. But we're going to talk about Mad Men. Uh, You're right, Mad Men. It, yes, and we're going to, this is official. your official spoiler alert uh, notification that we're talking about the first episode of Se- Mad Men Season 7B, uh, entitled... Severance. Severance. Technically episode 8. Or technically episode one, whatever you want to say. Yes, we have. Well, John Hamm approved seven seven B. Like that's his official. Yes, officially, this is not the second half of season seven. This is season seven B. Yes, you you found this out in a roundtable. Yeah, Ham Ham kind of said it with a (laughs) a disregard for its relevance, but at the same time, confirming that that's what we're going with. So okay, that's what we're going with. That's what we're going with. So. You have some talking points very specifically about the episode, but what was your general reaction? My general reaction was that I loved it, and only looking back on other reviews after I wrote my own and other people's opinions on it so far, did I notice, well not notice, but did I take into account the similarities to many of the topics that Mad Men's already covered. This is again about John Hamm, or again about Don Draper, uh, trying to find himself through a woman. Mm-hmm. There's a new mysterious woman uh, who's entered into the picture all of a sudden. Uh, there's a new character who's who's kind of come up into prominence for this specific episode that we may not have anticipated. Um, and then there's, there's obviously a few new things to go along with its 1970 uh, starting point. But, but I, I really did. I love the whole episode. I still do. It's, it's, it's very exciting. So yeah, confirm for me what, when, what like the start date is for this episode. Uh, I pinned it down on the review. It's definitely 1970. I traced back that Richard Nixon speech uh, that was yeah. being made. I believe it's in April, but I, I'm that could just I could have made that up. All right, I'll have to double but check. A, we'll put it in our show notes. Well, yeah, pr- approximately uh, April two, uh, 1970. Right. 
which is enough time for Roger Sterling to grow an amazing mustache. The best mustache since Ron Swanson's. I mean, it's really just tremendous. Yes, it's a very solid mustache. Well done, sir. Yes, everything everything to go along with the outfits and uh, the presentation of, of the characters, the costume design, the production design, all of that. Very fitting for the new 70s era that we've entered into. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, Liz, what did you think of the episode? I mean, it, it there is a certain sense of same as it ever was. Like, it, the, it's definitely a classic Mad Men episode in terms of sticking sticking true to the tr- true to the tone of the show, true to the form of it, while also, you know, trying things and being a little bold. The uh, I think the the thing that the one of the things that strikes me that struck me very distinctly was the whole the whole motif throughout the episode of uh, the the fur audition. Oh, right. Uh, like, because, you know, for, first, it's such a visually grabbing introduction, opening for the episode, and then bringing it back with Rachel Me- Rachel Menken uh, slash Katz, you know, but it's a very, it's, one of, it's like one of these classic, like, Mad Men can pretty much get away with anything at this point, as far as I, I as far as I can tell. Yeah, and that brings up two interesting points that I really wanted to talk about. And, and addressing your latter point first, where you mentioned what it can get away with the the scene with Diana, the waitress that he meets at the at the random diner that he shows up to with Roger. Sure. Uh, my biggest question leaving episode one is whether or not Don knew what that sex was all about when he had it. If mm-hmm. he knew that it was some sort of repayment for that generous tip. I don't think that he does. I would But I think that. there's an argument to be made that he did. Are people arguing that? I haven't seen it. I just believe that it's still it's one of those moments in Mad Men history that's vague enough where perhaps he knew exactly what he was doing and he was giving in to his baser instincts. As we've seen, he's started to do that again in this season. Mm-hmm. And he's going to check himself he already is because of this waitress but at the same time he indulged himself with her so that became a very interesting sort of starting slash turning point for me well i think it's very distinctive of i think it's very distinctive of where the character is at just in terms of i mean i basically what i'm going to say is i bought it because that man's man that man's getting around and it's just kind of i think at this point he just assumes oh yeah human being with with boobs that person will let me have the intercourse with her and it's true. Don Draper doesn't get turned down very often, as evidenced by the many phone messages waiting for him at that, his house. That, that scene has its, <laughs> is its own special sort of hilarity, just for the women operator, just being like, oh, God, this guy. I love that, that Don seemed to have a special relationship with her as well. Yes. Even the person who's telling him of the other women who want to sleep with him is someone that he is willing to engage with and flirt with on a regular basis. Yes. I would love to, like, I hope that she becomes, like, a major character. Like, I hope she, like, is, it, at the end of the season, she, it's revealed that she is, like, his one true love. And that, Absolutely. That's who Don's going to walk into the sunset with. Yes. We'll never even get a clear look at her. We'll just hear the voice and know that that's what happened. Right. Now, God, that makes me, I mean, really, I, I know we're going to be talking about this endlessly, but I was reading something about how, you know, about the... The fact that we are we should be bracing ourselves for something really interesting at the end of the series, like that. Apparently, you know they apparently they sent out the scripts uh, originally, but they were missing like the last couple of pages. And Matt Weiner brought everyone into his office 
and told them like in person what the ending was. Yeah, he selected the very specific members of the cast, the core cast, and brought them into the office. Even though I think it was actually uh, uh, John Slattery who plays Roger who who gave that anecdote and said that that he was shocked at how kind of nothing happened at the end, and then he got brought into Wiener's office to talk about exactly what what really did happen at the end, which yes. is interesting. But but it definitely indicates that we should be expecting something. And I think a lot of a lot of the next couple of weeks are going to be devoted to you know anticipation and theories about that. At least may, maybe in my head, are you going to be thinking that much ahead of the future? Are you just going to be trying to try? Are you going to try to bask in the present? I'm definitely going to try to bask in the present, if only for well for a, for a number of reasons. Primarily because I've never been able to predict what Mad Men's going to do next. I have had a zero batting average when it comes to just saying. Oh well, obviously this is going to happen next week, or mm-hmm. this is going to happen in the season finale. I, I mean, I just don't know. I know who's going to kind of stay around and what the topics are going to be, and I don't expect anything that drastic to occur at the end of the series to to subvert anything that mm-hmm. we've seen this far. Um, I'm just very much looking forward to some sort of closure for Peggy and Don, and that's as much as I want to think about it. Yeah, I mean. It's so it's it's so amusing to me that like it was 2012 was it 2012 or 2013 that uh, 30 Rock had its finale. It's 2013. 13, yeah, yeah 13. it's been two years now. Two sad sad years. Two horrible wretched years without without 30 Rock. Without 30 Rock. But the, in the finale of 30 Rock, of course, there's this great throwaway joke about how don't you want to know how Mad Men ends? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, and then she shouts out, you know. Peggy hires Dawn! And of course, that's what happens in season six. It's not even the finale of uh, Mad Men. So, you know, even even those who have accurately predicted what's going to happen on the show have been, you know, are still behind the times. Yeah, and, I, and considering Matthew Weiner's origins at The Sopranos, I really don't think there's going to be a way to predict that final, you know, those final five pages, which is what I'm assuming what they were brought in to see, you know, five yeah. to ten, whatever the ending is. I don't think we're ever going to know that until it happens, so I'm going to try to enjoy what we have left, because we don't have much left. We don't. And it's so good. It's still so incredible. I, we need to talk about Ken. Yeah, we do need to talk about Ken. Honestly, it's something that pops up regularly where some minor character gets his time in the spotlight, mm-hmm. and they become bigger than you might have thought they were. But I would have never picked Ken out. I mean, again, never being able to predict anything. I would have never picked, wow, Ken is going to have a sterling storyline in the first episode. I, and what's really interesting is, so I've been on, like, just re-watching the show in one monitor while, not, while working on other stuff for the last couple of weeks. And I've managed to get through everything up through to uh, next, next Sunday's episode. Or this this the to the season season seven B premiere season seven B <coughs> E two yes slash season seven E nine S V U yes um, so I've been I've been, so I'm getting through all of that together um, the the thing with Ken is that he really is just another sexist jerk in the office at the very beginning but then he becomes such a richer character when they introduce the storyline about him being a writer mm-hmm. and him loving to and him like having this secret life that I feel like echoes a lot of real people from that time period who 
got their start writing short fiction for the pulp for pulp magazines and while working a second job you hear that sort of story all the time yeah and i think that's something that really remains relevant to this day i believe that there's a lot of office workers or nine to fivers who really have a passion and a creativity that either they are harboring inside or they really are figuring out on their own in their own time and making it happen then because it's just kind of how it's got to be this day and age but for me with ken perhaps the reason i just never expected much more to come from him was i still haven't forgiven him for the first episode of season seven Mm -hmm. uh when he when joan comes into his office and he basically treats her like a glorified secretary Mm -hmm. and just tears her a new one and says like very horrible things which i mean now is resurfacing with new clients with joan and peggy in this episode right yeah i i so so the the aspects with ken in this episode were very interesting to me and it almost seemed slightly detached from what i'd come to perceive ken as until this point well i think what what was really interesting about this episode is you had a character at a very clear crossroads there's like he takes he he and his wife and his new child go to Vermont and they live in the clean air and he writes his novel and he has plenty to write about as he says and he probably lives a very happy and fulfilled life in the in the long run of in the long run or he stays in Manhattan and gets his revenge and he went with revenge yeah. <laughs> and that is fascinating and it's 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 kind of there it speaks to like this really interesting thread of bitterness in him, in the character that I don't think it had been brought out quite to this extent before, but it is genuinely fascinating. And if I was going to expect that bitterness to come out in any character, especially after you know the first half or 7A, <clears throat> I would have expected it from Harry Crane, mm-hmm. who's just been dicked over endless amounts of times by now. But he did. But he's getting what he wants now. He's a partner, um, or he's going. Believe he's supposed to get a partnership. I thought he got dicked out of that. Oh, I'm he probably sure did. He got, I'm pretty sure he it, got the boot at the end of last episode because that was his argument for, for what he for what he did, but Don ended up just using that information to get his own way, and then I think Harry got shut out. And I will, I will speak to say that this is, I think, a problem I have sometimes with Mad Men, is that a lot of times a lot of a lot of key plot points are driven by your intimate, intimate understanding of the way that you know, major corporations work and, you know, stock prices and public offerings. These are phrases that go over a lot of people's heads. Oh yeah. I'm not, the reason I say I think is mainly just because I don't engage that much with that side of the storyline. I pay attention to it in the moment. I watch it. I try to keep up with it, but frankly, all of the stuff that's very technical business speaks is just far less important to me than what the show is really about, which is about these people and their search for something they are trying to find the meaning of life so to speak and that's much more interesting and how they go about doing that through business is fascinating but those details are just and i I feel like it it is it is something to look back on with season 7a because so much of it is there's a lot more driven by that sort of detail than i think you know than i i think i'd remembered from initial watching and this time it's like you know getting the right number of votes so that Don Draper keeps his job and then making right. a secondary deal and that sort of thing. Yeah, and, and for me, again, this these final episodes are going to be, their success or failure is going to be dictated not by what business success they have. I feel like the business aspect for Don was conquered in the first half of this season. Mm-hmm. He was on the outs. He could have been done. He could have just been 
you know, had to completely reestablish himself in a whole new profession. Instead, he found his way back in, and that was his way of conquering that universe. Mm -hmm. He is at the top form of his game, and now he's looking for his personal happiness. Now he's that's the only quest he has left, and I am fascinated to see where that goes. So what other talking points do you have? You have a whole list here. Um, I think the last thing that we really need to cover from the episode is just that Peggy and Joan aspect that that meeting that they had where oh. Joan is sitting there ready to you know as she said burn the place to the ground and Peggy is kind of just taking it like okay I understand what you're saying I'm not going to engage this sexism I'm not going to engage your innuendos I'm just going to go forward with business until you guys get the point that you guys are being assholes right I I mean Peggy and Joan have never really been friends They've mm-hmm. never really had like that kind of bond, but it was almost like they set this up for them to have almost a battle in the office and in that feminist world that they're trying to bring about. It was like a reprise of a lot of different Peggy and Jones scenes we've gotten over the years. Like there's, like, especially I, I feel like most one that strikes me immediately is when uh, Peggy fires uh, Joey, the uh, sexist, uh, se- oh, yeah. the sexist uh, artist that was that you know drew the cartoon of Joan. Yeah. And, you know, Joan's reaction was, oh, great, you're a hero now. You saved me. Congratulations. And, yeah, it was very much in that model, except that now, of course, Joan is so much more powerful. I mean, the thing about those scenes that's so awful is just the fact that they haven't gone... That, you know, they're, they're st- they are still very much a reality of modern life. Absolutely. And... To the point where a friend of mine actually was just talking on Facebook about how she'd been sexually harassed. She'd just gotten some very inappropriate comments from her doctor. But, but, but the reason I bring it up is because those comments were frame, framed as, your, your body reminds me so much of Joan from Mad Men's. Let me go into explicit detail about why your body reminds me of Joan from Mad Men's. Oh, boy. Which is not something you want to hear from your doctor. No, not particularly. Even if... I want to imagine. I mean, well, you know... There's, there, it's nice to be compared to Joan from Matt and Men. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm sure that, <laughs> I'm sure that in other scenarios that yes. would be much more applicable. But there's something striking yeah. about the fact that that was the, you know, of poor, poor Joan, at this point, just is, remains a lightning rod even as a fictional character in the real world for that sort of commentary. And, and this kind of works as a good transition into the next level of Mad Men discussion that I wanted to get into, which is just kind of where it's at today. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously the critics have always been behind it. There's endless essays and discussions and conversations about the meaning of it all. Um, but as, as a general population, I'm not sure exactly where people land on it. I'm, I mean, I'm not. Sh- it, it's obviously not a ratings juggernaut. It's mm-hmm. not driving in a horde of people like you know the walking dead or even breaking bad was come the end of its series but i mean it is expected to perform very well and it's the reason amc is on the map it's the reason a lot of cable companies now have originals departments um but outside of that kind of critical world i'm not sure where it's at but for me when you see things like joan and what she's going through and Mm -hmm. how that you know 50 year old 40 year old uh problem still exists today it just makes it all the more relevant i mean along with the obvious issues of of you know they're still searching for the meaning of life everyone's searching for these things everyone's still looking for these things it's just a different scenario mm-hmm. even when the problems still exist but well i mean that's like i've always taken a lot you know pe- you know don draper is of course the 
core element of Mad Men. It all comes from him. But I've always been very drawn personally to like Peggy's story and even Joan's story at times. Like there's there's a rich variety of characters that 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 show has created. And I think the thing with Mad Men is that it's 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 so iconic. But a lot of its nuance is driven out by the fact it's iconic. Like, you have this perception, this very easily parodied perception of what Mad Men is as a show. And that has created a public consciousness of it that's really valuable. But the real root of the show, the really fascinating elements of it, are the more nuanced details. And people don't really necessarily get to them all the time. It's definitely a show, I would argue, that you have to choose to engage with on an episode-by-episode basis. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very... And you'd be able to speak to this a little bit more than I would, but I think it's a show that is not meant to be binge-watched. I think it's very much something that you can, especially if you've seen it before. But if you are waiting to watch Mad Men until it's all over and you're going to watch seven seasons in a week, two weeks, a month, I really just don't think you, it's possible to pick up on the intricate details and the various applications and the theories and, and the fun of, of watching it. I don't think it's meant for that. Well, I think it, yeah, yes and no. I feel like the thing about Matt, my, my experience coming to Mad Men was I tried watching I watched the pilot when it first premiered. I think I fell asleep at the end. Like I, 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 I It just didn't hook me for whatever reason. And then later uh, I sat down with like five episodes like one Sunday afternoon and being able to really sink into the world I feel like I've told the story on this podcast already but being able to sink on into that world uh, on, on, on my own terms and with a large sampling of episodes to go with that was what got me into the show since then I have really enjoyed watching it on a week by week basis I've never like I've never been an episode behind on Mad Men before. Like, it is always a show that I've made a priority to watch as soon as possible. Because it is one of the... It has... It has what is so rare and hard for a show to claim, which is the power of being a buzzworthy show and being a show that you have to watch immediately or you're going to get spoiled Monday morning in the office. And as a result, like, I think... I, I do agree with you that Mad Men deserves to be savored. Like, they, there's enough attention to detail uh, just in just in the costumes alone. If you have... If, if no one... If, if you're listening to this and you've never read TommyLorenzo.com's uh, style recaps, you are missing out on, like, such... A, on a, a whole new level to the show. Um, just, like, reading about the way that Peggy wears the color yellow. Like, that sort of... That's, that is... That is picking up on the level of detail that the show is really rich with. I, uh, the only argument I would make against against that kind of viewing of it or that way to appreciate it would just be, I think it's a show that invites you into Don's perspective, whether you want to have it or not. And there's plenty of people who rejected it after five or six years you know, of, of being stuck in that kind of ugly mentality, especially when he got his divorce and was <laughs> incredibly drunk and, and philandering around town. Uh, but more so just to be just to be behind his eyes and see the things that he's as as he sees them when he sees them and i think that by watching it week to week and thinking about that by allowing yourself to sink into that mindset i don't know if you can do it if you just skip from episode i think it might become redundant more easily more easily if you just binge it whereas if you kind of step back and go on the journey with him, then it doesn't become redundant. It becomes more applicable, more of a parallel to your own life. 
mm-hmm. which to me is what makes it so interesting. I, which is, again, to me, why I don't know how this will end and why it is very fascinating to think about the ending and how it will how it will all somehow wrap up in a bow when you're asking the biggest questions you can ask. I mean, that presumes it will wrap up in a bow. That's true, yep. Um, so in terms of the awards, I mean, the thing the thing that's always been, that's been an interesting element to the Mad Men story is the fact that it's kind of dropped out of award, major awards contention over the years. Yeah, I mean, uh, it won four Emmys in a row for Best Drama Series. Not too bad. Which is, you know, incredible. Uh, but I mean, looking at looking at that winning Best Drama Series four years in a row compared to, you know, the comedy series that's now in its fifth year with Modern Family, mm-hmm. I mean... Mad Men's definitely had more of an impact on the cultural landscape from, again, that critical kind of mindset, but people aren't watching it, so it kind of comes back, not on the same level as Modern Family, so it kind of again comes back to me, are the Emmys going to give it the attention when the audience isn't giving it the attention? Is that going to factor in? Uh, Are they honestly just speaking their own mind now, where they've also kind of gotten sick of Don and thought he's become redundant? Is this an actual criticism against Mad Men, or is it just we've given them four billion awards are we don't need to anymore well i mean they has john ham still never won for best actor no he's still then he's they're still not done right right but i mean will he will he win I, I don't know this is one of the hardest things for me to predict and, and you can go to indywire.com and check out the emmy predictions you know for for more on this but i mean there's so many iconic actors who never won i'll never forget that steve carell never won an emmy i'll never Good forget Lord. that Jason Alexander never won one for George Costanza. And both of those are comedies, which is notable. But at the same time, you know, Cranston won what? He won at least two, mm-hmm. if not three, if not four. I mean, he won a lot. Yeah. And and he was going up against John Hamm a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. They were head-to-head. Who was, who was uh, Aaron Paul regularly beating in this Best Supporting Actor race? Well, Slattery was in there every once in a while. I think Slattery was in there for the first four or five years. Mm-hmm. Maybe. maybe. Um, but Paul Paul faced much weaker competition. It was there was a, a Jim Carter from Down Abbey who's uh, been fairly consistent. Ah, uh, um, stoic sex god Carson. Yeah, exactly. As, as our Down Abbey recapper reviewer referred to him. Exactly. Well, it's very accurate. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I think this year is going to be particularly interesting because last year the focus was so much on Breaking Bad and True Detective and those two shows squaring off. Mm -hmm. And now we've entered into a year without either of them. So Mad Men is positioning itself very well by being released at the beginning of April and running up until uh, the the balloting season starts. But will it be able to overcome what's already out there? I mean, House of Cards I would have assumed it would have been the front runner had it not been for the perception of season three. Most people think season three is a fairly weak year. You've been thinking that. I've been thinking that. I'm still two episodes away from finishing the whole thing. Um, but I, from everyone I've spoken to about it, that's kind of where they're at. So now the focus shifts over to Game of Thrones. Can Game of Thrones finally make a dent in the Emmys when, I mean, it's got Dinklage and Award, it's gotten a lot of technical admiration, but can it get over the hump and, and win Best Drama Series? Or will Mad Men resurface as kind of the default? Let's give it to them in their last year... I think I think the quality of the episodes to come is really going to be the determining factor there. Do you think the fact that there's only seven episodes this year is going to play a factor? Because that wasn't discussed as much as it could have been last year. Most people were just like, well, last year it's there's other things going on. We'll just keep moving. But seven? Yeah, it's a t- that's a tough one uh, because I feel like it is. You know, it, I think 
I think what it comes down to is every single one of those episodes has to be stellar. Yeah. And if there is one weak element, then it's out. And yeah. I think I, the honest truth is, I feel like there, there are factors. I'm, I'm waiting to see what happens. I want to see if they bring back certain characters. Like I want to see if, if it's all about the new or if this is really a goodbye season because. I that's going to be a key element, uh, especially like you know. I don't need another woman for Dawn to sleep with to enter the frame. I want to know what happened to Sal. I'm I'm yeah. that I'm that person who wants to know what happened to Sal. I, I I know my numbers. I know I am joined by many others with that. That is very understandable, and I think that at least maybe not to the Sal point, but to your first point, I think this will very much be a season about the new because I mean, look at this first episode. Yeah, uh, we didn't even see Sally. Which yeah. is kind of strange, nor did we see January Jones. So, I mean, it's. Well, that's actually a pattern I've noticed is that in rewatching, especially, is that usually you get the first episode. You get the first episode uh, to to really focus on Dawn and re- bring us back into Dawn's world. And then the second episode is where, you know. The Betty Betty comes back in, or Sally. Well, sure, yeah, that pattern that pattern's pretty well established. But then you also have the the stuff about Ken, and then you also have the idea of, you know, if they are going to just try to wrap it up, then they would just focus on the core characters. I mean, even Roger didn't get a whole lot of time this week, and these are the people that the general audience really, really cares about. So if they're going to treat it like a goodbye, and they're going to treat it like, oh man, we only have six hours left to tell the story. I mean, I don't see him wasting any time on on Ken. Right. So this was this is a very I saw it as a very calculated decision to we're going to keep doing what we're doing it's going to end the same way it's, it began you're just going to have to wait and see yeah so real quick uh, what was the last thing you saw you really liked um, I haven't been rewatching Louie mm-hmm. uh, in preparation for the upcoming season uh, they just released the fourth season on Netflix as well as FX now I'm trying to build up a little buzz about it which I think we talked about before how there's just not I haven't heard a lot about Louie coming into the new season yeah I think we all, we all just take for granted that Louie will be brilliant yeah we're all just like oh yeah Louie will be great I'm sure it'll be yeah. great yeah it's great okay, I don't great, even need to watch great. it I just know it's it. brilliant yeah it's, it's one of those great shows that eventually I'll get around to yeah uh, but no I've been rewatching it and so far it is it is very 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 great so lovely yeah. um i meanwhile i'm switching it up on you i'm changing my i'm changing what i was going to tell you oh boy um i actually i caught i've been catching up with the last man on earth recently and i i've been going it's like i'm, I'm in this i'm in this really complicated relationship with the last man on earth <laughs> because it is either the greatest reaffirmation of white male privilege i've ever seen or it's the greatest deconstruction of white male privilege I've ever seen. And I think I, I think it's the deconstruction. I think it's very actively engaged with that conversation and and in a way that is challenging and smarter and, and much smarter than I think I had initially anticipated. So I'm I'm mulling it over still. I mean I I'm I'm actually still like a Two episodes behind, or something. Okay. But but That's... it's it's that it's, it's to be discussed is Last Man on Earth and how it's and, and whether or not its protagonist is really its protagonist. Yeah, I think talking about that when we discussed comedy in episode two was was a good decision. It is very a, it's a notable comedy, and I've been trying to keep up with it well. I think I'm about on the same pace as you yeah. are, and I think I'd side more towards the affirmation than deconstruction argument. But again, I'm I'm it's definitely very aware of what it's doing. Yes. So I'll be interested to see, you know, mid-season 
finale, that aspect of season one. Also, it is really fascinating to see January Jones pretend to be a person that people like. Oh, yeah. It's, like, weird. That is Like, she's like strange. a human being with feelings and emotions. I know. She's not, you know, shooting birds out of the neighbor's yard anymore. It's very strange. Yeah, yeah she's she, she almost seems happy. <laughs> Good for her. We had to go January Jones. But uh, what are you looking forward to, Liz? What am I looking forward to? I am looking forward to Daredevil. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm... I've been hearing some critic is reviews are getting out there, so there are some critically mixed things. I've watched I watched in a flurry uh, of several episodes that were provided for press and without and there's it's it's I'm not sure about it yet, but there's definitely a lot of aspects to it that have me really engaged. I was very invested in certain characters, which you know is always it's always nice when you catch yourself like genuinely caring what happens to someone. And I think I think it's gonna be Another, it's going to be another. It's not necessarily going to be another home run for Netflix, but at this point, Netflix is a, that. That speaks to the way in which Netflix has grown over the years. Uh, so, the conversations will be happening. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see how people react to certain aspects of the show, especially that thing. Be violent. <laughs> it is violent. There are some things I am shocked that they got away with under the Marvel brand. Um, it's. You know, I I have questions for people, and I hopefully will get to ask them of certain producers and whatnot at some point. Would this be an R-rated Marvel TV um, series? You know, I I I was I thought it was on the line, and then there was this one thing that happened uh, that I was like, nope, nope. I think I think they'd have they'd they would probably at least they'd probably get an R for this. Wow, um, that would be interesting. Yeah, it's it's essentially the the Daredevil movie that they wanted to make in two thousand three, but better executed. By far. <laughs> by far, crazy. Um, don't talk about they? my don't talk about my boyfriend Charlie Cox that way. I'm just saying. Um, anyways, uh, what about you? What are you looking forward to? Uh, I'm looking forward to everyone seeing the comedians. Yes. So that they can be as excited about it as I am. If not, we are, Liz. I'm I'm pretty sold on it. Yeah. Uh, um, as we've discussed, uh, episode three of the comedians is really where it goes to a very special place. Yeah, I a place think, called the grocery store. I think everyone's going to be fairly hooked from the get go, but in a year, a year and a half from now, when people start binge watching it, we're going to start seeing just fanatical comments of greatness, just yes. just incredible things being said about it. So, I'm very very much looking forward to to seeing more of the comedians as well as to everyone yes. uh, catching up with where we're at. Yeah, so uh, that about wraps it up, I think, for us. Uh, as always, you can follow Ben T. Travers at Ben T. Travers on Twitter. And you can follow Lizlet at Lizlet on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, and I think next uh, next week uh, you can look forward to us uh, talking about Game of Thrones with just this level of enthusiasm and excitement. At least on one side of the table. Well, actually two sides, because we're going to try to bring in uh, our, our co-worker Casey Cipri- Cipriani. Yeah, but I'll try to crush her spirit as quickly as I can. That's a good goal. All right, please make sure to stop by IndieWire for all of your IndieWire needs. That would be TV reviews, TV think pieces, interviews with your favorite folk, and probably something where Ben makes fun of me for liking the CW. Absolutely. Plus your daily dose of Mad Men. Plus your daily dose of Mad Men. Every day for at least, what, eight days now? Pretty much. Good streak. Yeah, we've, we've been doing great, so come by and check it out. All right, thanks for listening.